All right, I won't interrupt. Don't interrupt me. All, All right. right. All right. Yeah. It's the 401 episode three. It is Thursday, January 9th. I am Tanner Ward, and with me as always, Nick Duskin. <laughs> Stop doing that. <laughs> You'll just come in right away and, and say who you are. I want to get introduced. I don't want to introduce myself. And when you come in with just a big long introduction, just really talking you up. I would love that. It's I need it happen. some days. It's not going to happen. You can follow us at the 401 pod. Oh, I'm sorry. At 401 pod. No, the we're like Facebook. We dropped the, the for the Twitter handle. So at 401 pod at Tanner Ward seven. That's me. And Nick, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, just do the 401 pod. I, if I'm going <laughs> to post something, it's just going to be on there anyways. Well, if you want to see what he looks like, if you want to see me and my girlfriend, then you can follow me on mine. <laughs> you got to quit interrupting me, man. Sorry. You'll cut me out. You'll cut me out. I don't know why, but the with this audio system, for some reason, if me and Nick talk at the same time, it cuts me out. So if that happens, I apologize. Uh, Nick just won't let me finish, his, finish my, uh, my sentences. All right, you can listen to us at Spotify, Pocket Cast, Breaker, Google Podcast, and Radio Public. Help us get the word out about the show. Leave a five-star review wherever you can uh, or whatever the hell else it asks you to do. You know this is five-star material. Retweet our stuff on Twitter when it makes you laugh or uh, retweet some of our Beer Mile Playoff Pick'em stuff so people can share in my misery. And I do have to give a shout-out, Tanner, to uh, a listener out there. Oh, yeah. Connor Cramsey. We have one of those? We have a listener? It showed me on Twitter that he was listening to our podcast, and he's one of my uh, my, my best friends, college friends. Okay. And uh, he actually sent me a DM. What? You finally got a DM, huh? I did. I really did. Well, I'm proud of you. This is a a big moment for all of us. I enjoyed it. Straight to you? What? Did he send it straight to you? I think so. I feel left out now. Thanks, Tom. I'll tell him to do the 401. (laughs) All right, let's jump into it. We got a lot on the docket today. That's like the fourth time I've said docket today. It's kind of fun. I feel important. I don't mind it. All right, so let's jump right into some topics. Uh, Let's do head coaches first. We have almost all the dominoes have fell uh, of course, Ron Rivera with the Redskins for five years. We talked about that on a previous show. The Cowboys got their guy, Mike McCarthy. I'm going to roll through them all, and then we can comment on them. Panthers get Matt Rule. Giants get Joe Judge. And all that's left now are the Browns. So let's start with Mike McCarthy. We'll go quick on these. Uh, but, yeah, Cowboys get their guy. He even stayed the night at Jerry Jones's house. Weird. but Jerry- That is weird. So what what are your takes on McCarthy leading the Cowboys now? Well, the restaurants in the area are going to do a lot better. Uh, I think McCarthy's <laughs> going to eat all their food. Hey, he looks skinnier than what he did in his Lambo days. In what universe does he look skinnier to you? Maybe I just had a skinny TV. Yeah, no, um, you said a lot of stuff about it last time. Maybe he's got a new mentality. Uh, let's just see kind of where he goes. 
This is what I kind of think with McCarthy in Dallas is that he spent his last or his latter years in Green Bay trying to really establish the run. And I was looking at some of his numbers and he actually had a thousand yard rusher about half of the years he was in Green Bay, which was 13, I believe. And yeah, he had a a thousand yard rusher about half the time. And, you know, some of that was Ryan Grant. Uh, He had the one good year of Eddie Lacy, but Lacy actually did it twice. And, uh, but it was, after the Super Bowl, like I said, the latter half of his Green Bay tenure, he really started to establish a run. And you look at the running backs he had. He had James Starks. Uh, he tried to use Ty Montgomery. Eddie Lacy was about the same size as Mike McCarthy. <laughs> yeah. So he just didn't have the back to do it. And his offensive line, are, you know, they've always been well-known for pass protection, uh, but maybe not the best running line. I mean – I don't know at the NFL level how much of a difference that makes. I feel like it would be a lot, though. But now he goes to a team where they are built to run the football, and he's got a back like Ezekiel Ezekiel Elliott. I think McCarthy's newfound system he had at at the end of his tenure in Green Bay is going to work very well in Dallas, and I think he's actually going to have a lot of success there. I think this is his best landing spot by far. Yeah, and what he he made up all those – or non thousand year rushes with receivers who had thousand yard receiving. I mean, he probably had at least ten. I'm gonna guess just over the top of my head. On top of my head, a um, thousand yard receivers. You know, just Jordy Nelson. Uh, who else? I don't even know. Jordy Nelson. Um, well, Jordy's done it. Cobb, uh, Cobb, Jennings. Yeah, Jennings has done it. Are you just talking under the McCarthy tenure? Yeah. Because Dante Adams has done it. Uh, I don't know if, if Cobb ever hit a 1,000. I don't have the stats pulled up anymore. Yeah. So Maybe we'll look Donald Driver later Donald on. Driver might be in there. All right, next one, uh, Matt Rule to the Panthers. He gets seven years, $60 million. He's coming out of college, has never coached in the NFL, and gets the longest contract so far, seven years, $60 million. That's a lot of money. Uh, I, I wish him the best of luck, obviously. I think um, he's just going to have to change a couple little things up. And I mean, how, how much do you say a year he was making? Uh, well, he's making 60 over the seven years, but he also okay. has a lot of incentives. If he uh, wins playoff games, wins Super Bowl, whatever it be, uh, he's got a lot of incentives built in there to send that contract way over 60. So why are they signing all these coaches as long-term deals right now? I mean, obviously with Rivera and, uh, and him now, that's a six-year and a seven-year or five-year, seven-year. Yeah, Rivera was that? five. Rivera was five, rule seven. I get Rivera for five because Rivera has established himself as a very good coach in the NFL. And when you bring a new guy in, you want to give him at least three years to really handle a program. If you know he's a guy that handles a program well and he's not a first-time head coach, you can go five years. Because, again, he, you let him build the culture there, get the guys in he wants. It takes more than one, two years. But a guy straight out of college, the seven years, I just I don't get it. You don't know how he's going to be able to handle an NFL locker room. You know, he goes from recruiting 18 or 17, 18-year-old kids to now he's handling grown-ass men in a locker room who are making millions and millions of dollars. He's going to have guys in that locker room making more money than him. And so you just don't know how he's going to be able to handle that culture. And you're investing seven years in him already. Now, a little bit on Matt Rule, if you don't know who he is, he's turned two collegiate programs around 
drastically. He uh, got promoted. He was an assistant at Temple. He got promoted to head coach. And within two years, had them go into pretty good bowl games, especially for Temple. Had that program turned around. They were relevant. And then he gets the job, goes to Baylor. Uh, I cannot talk tonight. <laughs> uh, believe that Baylor had one win his first year. Two years later, he had them at 11 wins and a bowl game, big bowl game. And so Rule is shown himself very well in the college world and has turned some programs around. I mean, to have success at Temple is impressive enough. But again, he's never coached the NFL. There's a lot of personalities in that locker room, a lot of money being thrown around. I don't know how he's going to handle it. He's got seven years to uh, you know, have some success, though. And I think the first thing is, the first big question right now is, is he going to have Cam Newton next year? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> sorry. But uh, you know what? Turning around a program isn't easy, obviously. It, it, I think that's what they look for most in their search. Yeah, it's definitely not easy at a place like Temple. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Baylor has a little bit more stuff around it, Waco, Texas, but um, Temple's in Philadelphia, right, I think, which isn't a bad city either, but it's not a football school. So I think that's what they were looking for the most is a, a proven coach that can turn around a program and uh, like uh, create a culture quick as possible. And maybe that's what the Carolina Panthers need. That's what they liked out of them probably. But I, I mean, I don't mind the seven years. I was just, I was curious. I'm like, that's a pretty long deal, and you can get stuck real quick with that. Yeah, and from what I've seen from Matt Rule, I really like him in interviews and stuff. I'm really rooting for the guy. Uh, I'm just really surprised he got this deal. Did you see the video of him? Uh, he was introducing himself to a couple of the players, and one of, one of them was DJ Moore. Well, I don't know if he was introducing himself to Moore, but DJ Moore was there while he was kind of introducing himself. Did you see that video? I did not. Explain so, it to me. So he was introducing himself to whoever was with DJ. And so he goes, you know, this guy, and he points it uh, at Moore, and he goes, this guy, I offered him a full ride to come to Temple. He said he wouldn't even come to a visit on campus. He ends up going to Maryland. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, so his star receiver, uh, you know, kind of stifled him back in the day. Kind of gave him the stiff arm. <laughs> All right, Giants. Uh, hired Joe Judge. All right. How many? How long until you start seeing people with Judge outfits in the, the stadium? Oh yikes! That's I'm not I'm not excited for that one. I'm not either. I hate it when Aaron Judge has his little <laughs> section out there. All rise! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Joe Judge. You know, obviously he's a uh, came from a special teams background, so he's going to get a lot a lot of comps to John Harbaugh. I have no idea if they're even comparable. Honestly, uh, he was the wide receiver coach this past year. Uh, so anyone who's out there saying how did he get a head coaching job working with the wide receivers this year, he's a special teams guy. All right, he's made his career on it. Got moved to a different position. Didn't have a lot to work with this year because it was just a carousel of receivers in and out. Um, I have no idea really before last week who Joe Judge was. I have no idea how this is going to go. So I I don't have anything else to say about Joe Judge. Yeah, neither do I. Uh, I know with special teams you deal with a lot of talent, but you still have to teach them so they can be actual position players. But yeah, uh, I, I don't know how he changes because, I mean, special teams is, you know, it's, it's one of the most crucial parts in a game. 
and yeah, like I said, you're you're coaching players, but you're not coaching the stars. And I don't yeah, really know. That's what I saw someone uh, tweeted out that you know if you're a special teams guy, you have to get the best out of people who aren't superstars in the game, and that's why they think a special teams coach would make a great head coach. But at the same time, you just don't see it a lot. So, you know, I don't really think the jury is out, if you will, on how Joe Judge is going to be. Uh, I did see, though, that uh, they the Giants wanted to interview Jason Garrett for their offensive coordinator. Hmm. Do you see that? I actually did, yes. Yeah, I, I haven't seen anything else on this since I saw the report, but they actually asked Dallas that they could interview him. Because his contract's not up till the fourteenth, but I thought he got fired. But I mean, he was fired, but he wasn't fired. And then I was pretty sure he was fired. And then, but he still has to get permission to be interviewed. I don't really know. I still don't know what's going on with Jason Garrett. He's not coming back to Dallas, but he's not fired. I don't really know what's going on. Maybe he'll just sleep over at yeah. Jerry Jones' house for a while. <laughs> but I also saw that they wanted to bring Freddie Kitchens in. The Giants or the Cowboys? Uh, the Giants. Okay. And right? yeah. I mean, Ain't that wrong? Now you may, you always make me doubt myself when I saw that. I'm pretty sure I saw the Giants wanted to bring Freddie Kitchens into a role is what I saw. Not uh, okay. Not like the OC, but yeah. For okay. a role with Joe Judge's staff. So we might see Jason Garrett and Freddie Kitchens both on the same coaching staff next year. All right. I'll uh, look out for that. (laughs) All right. We got a couple more things to get to before Nick kind of takes over for a little bit. Uh, Next topic I want to get into, because I don't really know what the Browns are going to do. I don't even want to speculate because there's so many coaches out there. So let's go to the next thing. So we're going to go from NFL to MLB to NHL to XFL back to NFL. Are you ready for this? Oh, my God, no. (laughs) All right. So in the MLB, the Astros and Red Sox, the Astros. Okay, so the Red Sox got caught cheating, if you haven't seen this. So the Astros punishment is supposed to be out for the in the next two weeks. So the Astros, if you live in a hole, live in a rock, they're punished or they got caught cheating for their 2017 world series run, uh, you know, banging trash cans and all this stuff to tip pitchers, pitches coming in tip signs. Okay. The Red Sox in 2018, they just got caught using a video replay system to steal signs in, uh, in 2018. So they would, during the game, use the video replay system, see the signs the catcher putting down, relay that to the dugout. The dugout would relay that to the runner on base, who then would tip the pitch to the batter. Okay, You know what the correlation here between the 2017 Astros and 2018 Red Sox are? They both won. They both also had Alex Cora as a coach. Alex Cora was a bench coach for the Astros in 17, became the manager of the Red Sox in 18. Actually, did they both lose them? I don't know what they didn't win. Hmm? Wait, what? They, they didn't win, right? Yeah, Houston no, didn't win. Yeah. Houston won in 17, Red Sox won in 18. That's when they oh, both Oh, okay. So, so is, who is this guy? Alex Cora? Yeah. 
He was a former second baseman for the Boston Red Sox back uh, when they, I believe, on their 04 World Series team. Or, no, 07. The 07 World Series team Alex Cora was on. He was their second baseman. Uh, then again, he became a bench coach for the Astros for a couple of years, was on their 2017 staff when they won the world series, got the job with the Red Sox the following year. He's been their head, the uh, skipper ever since. And I believe they won 108 games his first year's manager, but now both teams have been caught cheating both of those years. Okay. Once in Boston, always a cheater, right? Right. So I think Alex Cora sees a pretty significant punishment for this upcoming year. Kick him out of the league. He may not coach till after the all-star break. I have That's nothing. To, I have nothing to back that up, but I see him getting a pretty good suspension. I mean, how many, how many games is a, a person taken HGH get like 84 or 62? What is it? I, I can't remember. Uh, and that's cheating. Yeah. So why true. wouldn't he get an 84 or 62? It's, it's not It's not those numbers. Your numbers are wrong. What is it for HGH? I don't remember. Is it 80 and then a 160? Is it a half year, full year, and then three strikes you're out? I think so. I don't remember. But I have some ideas. So the, what got me started on this, uh, this little wormhole here is I wanted to – I wanted to give what I thought the Astros punishment should be because again, they're saying the Astros punishment should be revealed in the next two weeks. Do you have, cause theirs is more, theirs is very serious. I not sure how serious they're going to attack the Red Sox yet, but from what I've been reading, they're going to go after the Astros very hard. So do you have any thoughts on uh, what their punishment should be? Like I said, suspend that guy for half the year. And then I it's gotta be a draft pick. That's where you hurt the Astros. They're I mean, they're such good drafting at drafting, I should say, that this is really the only thing that I feel like is like worth it. Money's not worth it. They just make it more. I mean, they have a cap and everything, yeah. but it's gotta be draft picks. All right. So this is what I think. All right, you ready? I think you take at least, at least their first round draft pick away, at least, if not multiple picks. Okay. They're not allowed any qualifying offers or any draft pick compensation from said qualifying offers for the next, I don't know, X amount of years, three to five. Okay. You decrease their luxury tax threshold because every team has one they're not allowed to go over. Okay. You decrease that. And you also increase the fine for going over the luxury tax. So basically, you have a soft cap in the MLB. Each team has their luxury tax. If you go over it, you are fined a certain percentage of said luxury tax that you have to pay back to the MLB. And the whole and it's it's a pretty hefty fine, several millions and millions of dollars. And it's the idea is to encourage teams to not go over it because I don't remember what the actual thing is, but it's like, is it a quarter of your payroll or something like that? You end up having to pay back or am I, am I way too high here? Uh, I think you're a little bit too high. I just know the Yankees have to pay it every single year. Okay. But anyways, yeah, I think you lower their luxury tax and then increase how much they would have to pay if they go over it. So now their payroll becomes lower. They can, they can, you know, not give out as large a contracts because they're one of the four or five biggest markets in the MLB bring their payroll down, 
Okay. Again, no qualifying offers to players. They're not allowed any draft pick compensation if that said player would leave after a qualifying offer, and at least their first round pick is gone. All right. Can can I explain uh, qualifying offers to people? Qualifying offer is a one year deal at a certain level. The level goes up basically every year, the money, and it's based on off the top of my head, I can't remember exactly but it's based on a lot of factors but basically if you accept the qualifying offer you're going to get paid i think this past year it was like was it nine in the 19 million range it Jesus. was seven i think it was 17 four last year i don't remember what it was this year but you're getting nearly 20 million dollars for the one year now if you decline it and you leave in for agency to go to another team because they're going to give you a multi-year offer that team that offered you the qualifying offer gets a draft pick back from that team that signed him. So when Pujols, we offered a, the Cardinals offered a qualifying offer to Albert Pujols back in the 2012 off, or 11-12 offseason. When he left to the Angels, because we had offered the qualifying offer and he declined, we got a draft pick back from the Angels. Okay, so that's okay. how the qualifying course. Do you know who that pick was, by the way? Randall Gritchick. No, we took Michael Waka with that pick. Ooh. Yes. Randall Gritchick also came from the Angels along Light. with Peter Borges for <laughs> David Freeze. Okay. I have some more Astro punishments. You ready? Yes. Their pitchers have a six batter minimum instead of three. <laughs> okay. Justin Verlander has to pitch left handed. All right. He probably could still do it. <laughs> they have to put the hill back in center, but only when the Astros are in the field. Like a like a turf mold mound or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's like a the, removable hill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, my last one. If an Astros player hits the ball into the Crawford boxes, automatic out. But if <laughs> if an opposing player puts in the Crawford boxes, double the runs. Yeah, maybe more like you can only hit so many in the Crawford boxes. It would be a little bit better and realistic. But, yeah, I mean, I get do, it. Do like slow pitch where you cap the home runs? Yep. All right, so let's move on from that. Jordan Bennington versus Justin Bieber. It's happening. Yeah, you got that yummy, 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 yummy. The challenge has been accepted by both parties. Who's the sponsor? Because I saw a couple people were trying to sponsor it. Yeah, so the event is on. There's no date yet. We were hoping for the All-Star game because it's in St. Louis. Doesn't look like that's going to happen. But, yeah, several companies have thrown in there. Basically what happened, Jordan Bennington shot uh, shot at uh, Justin Bieber, said, hey, let's do a one-on-one. Penalty shot. Penalty shot. Thank you. I blanked out for a second. (laughs) Uh, Ten shots if he scores a goal. What was the initial thing? Uh, the initial thing was Bennington would dye his hair like bleach blonde. Oh, that thing. Yep, and, that's right. So Bieber counter-offered with ten thousand dollars to charity, which is baller. Baller. So now some uh, some companies are hopping in there. I know Budweiser hopped in and they wanted to double it. Um, I, there was a car company too, wasn't there? Like Car Shield. Maybe I know I saw another one that wanted to do like twenty five thousand, but I yeah, don't remember I, who it was. I'm pretty sure that was the Car Shield one. Okay, so that's going to happen. That's going to be exciting. Wha- who's your money on? Ten shots is a lot. I know it is. 
And I Biebs mean, is Canadian. I heard so I, I heard a couple things about him. He's kind of like the Putin of hockey in America, or really in Canada, actually, not America. Um, if you don't know what that means, that means just everyone lets Putin score and pick up games in Russia, and he scores like eight goals a game. Well, um, yeah, if you if you stop him, you die. You die. <laughs> You're so, murdered. You know what, but I'm, I'm going to give Beads some credit. It's to a good cause. I think he actually beats Bennington once. Okay, I feel either way, money's getting donated, so it's going to be fun to watch. Um, but if Bieber does score, I'm not looking forward to all the shit that dumb fans are going to give Blues fans for Bieber scoring on them. Yeah, but I, I like this kind of interaction between you know celebrities almost. So yeah. the only reason we got Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson to do that duel is because the internet pretty much. So I want this to keep going. I want people to call things out. I want them to challenge each other. And, I mean, I don't want it on pay-per-view like the Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, but I like this kind of stuff. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Moving on to the XFL. It is so close. We're almost there. Less than a month? More than a month? What are we at? Uh, Yeah. Be The 23rd? Right after the Super Bowl, isn't it? I don't know. I'm a season ticket holder. I should know this. I think it starts either on 20th or 23rd, so a little bit over a month. I'm gonna I'm gonna Google it right now and see when the first game is. Dude, I think we got the best logo. Oh, easily. Even Twitter agreed. I was seeing like everyone's yeah. like, oh, I'm a fan of this team, but the Battlehawks got it. You dumbass. All right, so the first home game for St. Louis is February 23rd. Okay. So week one, we will be at Dallas Sunday, February 9th, four Central on ESPN. On ESPN? Yep. Good deal. Following week, we're at Houston, so we're just going to stay in Texas. Hey, maybe the Battlehawks can stay at Jerry Jones' house. We'll be next Sunday on FS1. Okay. Yeah. That's a weird. That's a switch right there. They're all ABC, ESPN, Fox, and FS1. Well, they don't all own each other. I ABC and ESPN own no, each other. XFL made a deal with all of them, I'm assuming. Just how like CBS and NBC have NFL games. Are like ESPN on Saturdays or Sundays and Fox is on the other day? Like what is this? All right, we'll figure that out later. We'll figure that one out later. There's just <laughs> there's some ABCs. There's some okay. So it looks like ABC is always on Saturday. Yeah, I see the trends. Uh, Fox is mostly on Saturday. Fox is on Saturday, except for the first week they have a Sunday, and then Sundays after that is oh shit. Well, there's an ABC on Sunday. You know what? <laughs> There's no trend, all right? It's just, it's all over. It's all over there. Okay. All right. So they released the rules. Do you see this? I just saw it's all for speed. Dude, this looks amazing, okay? These games are going to be 65 to 62. Okay, The NFL is going to look like the 90s NBA, and the XFL is going to be like NBA today, but like way more entertaining. All right, we'll so, be the judge of that. 
All right, so here's the kickoffs. I'm going to run through these as fast as possible. Give me three minutes. All right, here we go. The kickoff. Uh, the kicker's at the 25. The returner is at his own 30. The kickoff return team is at the 35. Okay, you with me still? Yeah. The re- or, I'm sorry, yeah. The, re- the return team is at the 30, while the kickoff coverage team is at the 35. So the ten there's going to be 10 guys staring at each other five yards apart on the side that the team will be receiving the ball. So the kicker has to put the ball between the goal line and the 20. If it's a touchback, it goes all the way out to the 35. So basically the kickoff return and coverage team are five yards apart. The kicker has to put it between goal line and 20. No one can move till the ball's caught, except for obviously the kicker and the returner. No one can move till the ball's caught. There's just going to be a wall of people. If you have a Devin Hester, you would never have to play offense. If you find one hole in this, all you got to beat is the kicker. That's like uh, like grade school baseball where like you can't steal a base until the pitcher throws it. Yeah, it's going to be – they also eliminated concussions with this too. It's it's safe, and it makes it exciting. I'm not sure if it doesn't give people too much of an advantage. Okay, reset my clock. Give me like 245 now. I'm going to roll through these. Don't talk until I'm done. Ready? You said not talk. I said uh, – all right, here we go. The extra point, you can either go from the 2, the 5, or the 10. That is for one, two, or three points. There is no kicking extra points in this. Okay. The punts, the they're they're trying to eliminate punts. They want people to go for it. So if it's a touchback or it even goes out of bounds, so there's no coffin kicks anymore. Touchback or goes out of bounds, ball goes to the 35. If the ball goes out of bounds before the 35, it's spotted there. The punting team cannot cross the line of scrimmage until the ball is punted. So again, an elite kick returner is huge in this league. There is a thing called a double forward pass. Don't get too excited. It's permitted only if the ball does not cross the line of scrimmage, which Brett Favre would love. But it's not going to be like a completion 20 yards down the field and then he throws it again. It's If you throw that quick screen outside and it goes forward, he, he can then throw it again. So it's going to still be exciting. In overtime, it's a two-point shootout. There's no ties. The ball is at the five. Okay, it's best out of five rounds. It's basically a two-point conversion, five-yard line, and there's five rounds of it. If it's still tied after that, then they'll just keep going, I guess. Yeah, they're going to keep going, but if a team wins each around, the game's over. All right? Back-to-back penalties by the defense results results in a score. Okay. So that's good. All right, here's some timing stuff. 25-second play clock. Outside of two minutes, the clock never stops. If you have an incompletion or it goes out of bounds, the clock keeps running. Once you get inside of two minutes, though, the clock does – it goes back to normal rules, doesn't stop – or, excuse I'm sorry, inside of two minutes, it does stop on incompletions and out-of-bounds plays. It also, if you're tackled in bounds, the clock will not start running until the official places the ball down and and five seconds have ran off the play clock. So that's going to really increase the excitement of the final two minutes. 
There are no coaches' challenges, but all plays are subject for review, and a booth official can correct an obvious error on the field at any time. Huh. Wonder who needs that, NFL. One foot inbounds is a catch. An official dedicated, or there is an official dedicated to just spotting the ball. The coach-to-player helmet communication, like play-calling stuff, can be used on the broadcast. There's a three-yard limit before there is a flag for ineligible man downfield, and halftimes are only going to be 10 minutes. So that Genesis halftime show is going to have to be quick. Whew, how'd I do? Did you time me? No, I did not. But I do have a couple questions, though. I really struggle talking through all that. (laughs) Number one. Good thing I host a podcast. Is there walls? No, it's not the arena. This is It's a full-size field. Okay, full-size field. Number two, this is going to be a lot like right when the NHL um, changed the overtime rules. It's going to take about two or three games to really, like, get into the rule book. Because, I mean, you practice it, but you're not, like, in-game situations. So there's going to be some hiccups. I feel like at least the first two weeks. Now, now the thing with that though, is the NHL changes. They do, you know, you still play regular hockey. It was what it was four on four. Now it's three on three before you go to the shootout. Yeah. Well, in the XFL, it stays the same though. The whole time it's a two point conversion from the five. Every I'm time. Just saying, like with like rule changes and them not used to it. It's going to be, yeah. it's going to take them a little bit to get used to. So. I do at least week one. There's going to be some hiccups, probably. Um, hopefully, not big though. But okay. other than that, it just seems fun. I'm okay. down. It's going to be awesome. I I cannot wait for this. Uh, it's not long. You don't have to wait long. I know. I know, and I will be in attendance. I already requested off for every single home game. Again, I a season ticket holder, which cost I'm, you like I'm, twenty bucks. It's yeah, twenty bucks a seat per game. I'm not. I'm not in the front row. All right. I'm. I'm like the farthest back you can be for a season ticket holder. But guess what? Still a season ticket holder. So they closed the the top, um, mezzala or whatever it's called, right? Mezzadine. Yeah, I, I don't think they call it that. I don't know what they call it in football. No <laughs> sleeves. <laughs> yeah, the top level is going to be closed. You can only sit in the first or second level. And it is, it's at Edward Jones zone, right? Yes. Yeah. The battle Hawks are playing at the dome. What is it still? Edward Jones dome. Uh, I, I think it's just called the dome now. Good. I don't like the Edward Jones dome anyways. There's not a lot of good years in the Edward Jones dome. Now it's just the dome. All right. All right. Well, until then we'll have to watch uh, the NFL as they have the divisional round. This week, what a throw by Fitzpatrick! What a touchdown run by Williams on the last weekend of the regular season in the NFL. If the Chiefs win and New England loses, the Chiefs will be the two seed, they'll get the bye, and they'll have a home game the next weekend. I'm getting confused. What game are you calling? I'm calling both games. So, Saturday, we're going to go through our picks, we'll do a little preview of the, each game and do our picks where I can continue to lose at the Beer Mile Playoff Pick'em Challenge. I think I actually said it right that time. All right, here's the games. Uh, I will run through them, and then we'll uh, – no, I'll just we'll just go right into preview them, all right? Okay. 
All right, first one on Saturday, the Vikings at the Niners. The six-seed Vikings at the one-seed 49ers. What do you think? I like this matchup actually a lot. I think oh, the, I, I think the Vikings wildcard game is huge for them with San Francisco having to sit out pretty much two weeks of the season, right? So, um, I, I mean, you can't knock on – San Fran's running game, it's probably one of the best right now, but I think it's going to be a lot closer than people think. So you said San Fran set up the last two weeks. Well, they didn't really have to play a meaningful game the last two weeks. Didn't they play the Seahawks week 17 for the division? Did they? All right, maybe I was just – I was gone that week. I didn't really watch a lot. (laughs) I think that was week 17. All right, never mind. I'm wrong. They yeah. didn't have to play for a week. For one week, yeah. They got for the rest. One week. So this matchup is very intriguing because you have very similar teams right here, basically. You have two brutal defenses that play very well, and you have uh, two offenses that control the clock and run the ball very well. And so I think they're just going to beat each other up, and it's going to be very close at the end. What I'm scared of is that the Niners grab a couple late touchdowns and win this by a couple scores. You are right, by the way. They did play the Seahawks, and they won 26-21. to 21. So it actually was a decent game. Don't challenge my knowledge. That was for the division. The winner got a bye. Or no, the Seahawks would have been the three seed. And the loser would have been a wild card. So, so I mean, I think that we can actually just – have a pick here because I think I know what you're going to pick. And I don't think this, I mean, I don't think the spread's going to affect you, but let's see where your, your pick is. I'm, I kind of think the spread is, is actually going to affect this game. So the, the Niners are favored by seven. Okay. So I don't know what the hell to do because if it was seven and a half, I'd take the Vikings. Well, look, look, Tanner, you overthink it last time. So, do simple. Who do you think is going to win? I overthink and everything. Go, and go with that. You overthink everything. That's what I do in life. When it comes to football, fantasy football, picking football games, I overthink it all. All right? The Niners are really good. They've been playing some close games of, as of late. They lost to the Falcons at home. They barely beat the Seahawks. I don't want to root for the Vikings on Saturday. Let's hear it, Tanner. Make a pick. All right. I'm going to take the Vikings plus seven. All right. I am taking San Fran. <laughs> God damn it. Why not? They're the favorite uh, for a reason. They're good. Yeah. Okay. All next right. Game. So the next game. Titans at the Ravens. The Ravens are favored by 10. So this line's been jumping a little bit. Ravens were favored by 10 on the initial line. It moved to nine and it's back to 10. I have a quick question for you. So the lines have been moving. So they moved on us all weekend and we just kind of roll with it. So do we want to stay with these lines we have now or we do we want to do the final lines? Like, oh, I mean, on I Saturday, could- on Sunday. I think we can do the lines right now. Just, just unless like someone gets hurt 
maybe we'll tell people on Twitter what we decided. Okay. Like if Lamar Jackson has a freak injury, that line's going to move a lot. Hey, watch your mouth. ACL tear. Go out there. <laughs> your name's ACL tear? Uh, so... Yeah, Bobby, so Baltimore is favored by nine and a half, you said, right? No, by ten. Oh. Yeah. So, with the Ravens, obviously the most explosive offense in the NFL all year. The Titans, one of the most explosive offense to close out the year. They just went to Foxborough and beat Tom Brady, knocked him out of the playoffs in the wild card round. The uh, one thing with Mike Vrabel and the Titans is they play their best when they are the underdogs, and now they're two-score underdogs. Two-score dogs going to Baltimore. You're, I mean, I just I don't know what to think of this game either. I'm already losing my mind in, in the divisional round trying to pick these games. But Mark Ingram is expected to play. Uh, we haven't really seen, and this is a bit of a stretch here, but we haven't seen what Lamar Jackson can do with a week of rest as far as like playoff games go. We just, you know, is it going to affect him at all? I would say there's a 0.0001% chance it does affect him, and this Ravens team comes out slow, but there is that chance. This Titans team is hot. This Ravens team has been the best in the NFL basically all year. What do you think? I think... I just I think that the Ravens offense is too good. I I actually like that spread. I think they're gonna cover it easily. I think the key to this one for the Titans is that they need the same game plan as last week in where as long as their game script is good enough that they can keep feeding Derrick Henry. Because they're going to want to get him 30-plus touches again because that means they're controlling the clock and they're in the game. So if they can keep the game close enough to where they still have a running game script, the Titans are going to cover the spread. But I don't know if they can do that. You just said they are going to, and then you said you don't know. No, no, no. No, no, no. That's not what I said. If they can keep, if they can get Derrick Henry that 30-plus touches or 30-plus carries, that means that the game script is in the positive the whole game. They don't have to get out of the run. And if they can do that, if they can do that, they will cover the spread. I don't know if they can do that, though. That's what I said. How many rushing yards do you think Lamar Jackson has this year? Like, for the season? Yeah. He has over 1,000. 1,206. Oh, I was actually supposed to give an actual guess there? Yeah. Oh. Well, I was just starting to look it up. I didn't realize you were. Uh, I said, guess how many yards. <laughs> you did. You did say that. All right. Who are you taking? I like a good underdog, but I'm going with Baltimore. All right. So I guess I'm going to take the Titans because I can't keep picking the same as you. Is that where you're going to pick? You were leaning all towards the Titans, so I thought you really wanted that one. Do you want to switch it? I was, I was kind of I was trying to talk myself into the dog, man. I already took one underdog for Saturday. I don't want to take both. All right, you take the Baltimore Ravens then, and I want to take, take the, the Titans. Ravens. That way I can just watch Lamar Jackson. You killed me with your Titans pick last week, though. All right. I know. I want so, them to just murder you, and I'm gonna bring. I'm gonna buy a Titans jersey shirt 
and wear it to your beer mile. <laughs> and it's going to say Tannehill. <laughs> I had already thought about – I had a, a just some terrible luck in my home league in fantasy this year. And I actually ended up going to the last place game where the punishment was also a beer mile for the loser of the last place game. And what sent me to that game was Kenyon Drake having just a career, like his best game of the year, best game of his career of, I don't remember what it was, like 180 yards and four touchdowns sent me to that game. So I was going to do the beer mile in a Kenyon Drake jersey shirt. I'm, I got to figure out something to do it in for this pick'em challenge. Cause I got, it's going to, I need a miracle to, uh, to catch you in three games with seven left. All right. So Sunday Texans at the chiefs chiefs are favored by 10. Now as the line moves back half a point, they were at nine and a half. Now it's at 10 Texans chiefs. What are you thinking? I mean, I don't, I don't like the Chiefs that much, but they are a dang good team. I, I think I'm going. I just like that that wild card game. It gets them the experience. Like you said, JJ Watt is probably going to be a little bit more in shape for this game. Um, I don't think Kansas City really has that good of a protection. Yeah, so true. If they don't, uh, I, I, I'm so I. Unless you want to pick Houston, I'm picking Houston. No, I'm going to take the Chiefs. All right. And what did you say the thunder over or the spread was? It's minus 10 for Casey, who already lost to the Texans in Kansas City this year. <laughs> you know what? Texas or Kansas City can easily cover that. I know they can. It's just, like you said, if I, everything kind of just has to go right and. Mahomes needs to pass it. It's going to be all on that pass rush by the Texans because, you know, the, the Chiefs looked very good all last year in the playoffs. You know, they played very well in the playoffs. Last year they dominated uh, Andrew Luck and the Colts. They scored in the, their second half offensive performance against New England was amazing. They just didn't have enough in the end to uh, pull that one out. I feel like Kansas City comes out on fire in this game, puts up a lot of numbers early. But it could be just like last week where the Texans were getting dominated early and then make their comeback. It's going to all be on that Texans defensive line. If they can get pressure to Mahomes, which they very easily can, I feel like the Texans probably win this game and knock Kansas City out. And we keep having these upsets. Yeah. But I don't know. I just, I'm putting a lot of faith in Mahomes. You know, Patrick is Mahomes. I'm putting my faith in that, in, a, in Andy Reid, which is like the worst thing you can do in the playoffs is put your faith in him. But I'm putting my faith in you, Big Red. Give me a 14-point victory, please. Might as well make it 21. Send JJ home. This is how um, I see the game going, Tanner. I see it. Kansas City getting off to at least a 21-0 lead in the beginning. 0 Yep. Houston okay. has been so slow in the start that I think Kansas City is going to be all over them. But hear me out here. Okay. It's going to be exactly like Kansas City and Indy when Indy oh, came back ouch. on them. So that's what I see. I, I, I really don't want it to happen to Kansas City, but that's what I see happening. I see it being like 17-3 early in the 
when like Kansas City gets two quick touchdowns, but it always happens. Like they'll score right off the bat, bam, bam. And then Andy Reid tries to get too cute. They botch something or they get a negative play. They end up having to kick a field goal when it looks like they're going to go up 21 nothing. They end up kicking a field goal. It's going to leave the Texans in this. It's going to be uh, 17-3 in the first half. It's going to be a nail-biter till the end, but the Chiefs are going to squeak out a couple late touchdowns by Darryl, or by Damian Williams, and they'll cover by at least 14. You struggle with those Williams. I can't. For some reason, on this podcast, I can't remember the Kansas City running backs. I called them Darwin Williams last week. It's <laughs> Damian girl, and then they have Darwin. <laughs> Just right. name out of the hat. Put Williams on the end of it, and he's a Kansas City running back. Let's uh, let's get to this last game real quick because I know yep. who you're gonna pick. You want to <laughs> say it? Want to just say it that you're a Green Bay fan, so people know. Do you think they know that yet? <laughs> I hope so. That one listener does. <laughs> so I have to watch this in the cold at Lambeau. I say that like, like it's a bad thing. I am scared to death of Russell Wilson at Lambeau. I honestly, I've been thinking about this game more than the others, even the 10 point spreads. I've been thinking about this one more because I kind of feel like Mason Crosby walks this one off and they win Ooh. by three. But, but there's no way in hell I'm not taking the Packers minus five over Seahawks so I can sit there at Lambeau and be worried about a damn point spread the whole time. Give me the pack. All righty then. I'll take Seahawks, obviously. What if I just took the Packers and pissed you off? <laughs> I kind of thought I kind of thought you might do that. All right. Weather is supposed to be 23 degrees. No snow, what, though. What is it? 20 what? 23. That's not bad for a January game at Lambeau. I know. I think when, they're really calling for snow and then called it off. Okay. I have confirmation on that. <laughs> you, have a, <laughs> you have an inside source? I have an inside source from that state that says snow was called upon and has now been called off. It, it, it They told it, they got it, they got it uh, up in the bullpen and they put it back down. What kind of snow are you talking here? Like drugs or like weather? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be raining down a little snow there. Uh, I'm trying to think if anyone in this game has been arrested for that kind of snow, and I can't think of one. I would hope so. <laughs> uh, well, it's a good thing the Patriots aren't there with Patrick Chung. Yeah. <laughs> Cocaine one hell of a drug, guys. <laughs> All right, so Nick is going to take this over a little bit. He's the host. I'm the co-host now. You're going to take this over a little bit because I don't know what the hell we're going to talk about. You, this oh. is segment. This is a segment you wanted to do. Take it away, Nicholas. Okay, so if you guys don't know, Tanner is a basketball coach, and I was just kind of think about coaches lately, mainly because I, I watch more of the the NHL. Six NHL mm-hmm. coaches have been fired so far. Two yep. in the central because of the blues are awesome. But <laughs> Coach Tanner, do you go by Coach Tanner or Coach Ward? I just have them call me Tanner. They call me CD. You know what that stands for? I don't. CD's nuts. <laughs> Got <he. laughs> Bad joke. Don't worry about that, guys. Uh, Anyways. Um, not you want to tell uh, children. 
Oh yeah. Anyways, this is what I coach. So yeah, that joke <laughs> not play at my gym. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, but no, I, I want to get a little bit of your input and just some stories throughout your you know your athletic career because mm-hmm. we all know you're not athletic anymore. <laughs> I'm retired now. Okay, so. Do you play any mental games with any of your players, first of all? You're going to learn to be true dodgeballers. Then you've got to learn the five Ds of dodgeball. Dodge, duck, dip, dive, and dodge. I I don't really play mental games that I think will affect their play. There's a lot of coaches that do, but I don't really like that kind of bullshit. Like, I try and be very straight up with my players. And a lot of times, like I try and stay encouraging to them at all times, but yeah, I don't really like to play games with them because I would not want the mental games played on me when I played. Like I want coaches to be very straight up with me. So I don't really play those, but I know like I've, you know, I've seen a lot of other coaches out there and there are some that just like try and mentally mess with these kids. And uh, yeah, it's not something I really like to partake in. Yeah, and so, and what I was kind of thinking is, like, people kind of see society now as, like, a little bit softer. Like, some mm-hmm. of these kids needs punishments. I just kind of wanted to get your input on this. Um, obviously, as a older millennium, I was chewed out, but I was never, I never had head games with my coaches. Mm-hmm. And so, kind of, I want to talk about some of the, even the NHL coaches this year that have been fired, and a lot of them are being called bullies for just tormenting one was a racist too which doesn't help but um (laughs) hockey's kind of a tough sport to be a racist in i know and i feel like with (laughs) hockey there's probably i don't feel there's i mean there's probably about five black guys and so you know you get called out if you get one of them so um but anyways i just really wanted to get your input i know like I said, you've been coaching for a little bit. Um, so just kind of tell me a little bit about, like, I know you're a head coach, but you're kind of behind the the head guy. So what's your yeah. job as, like, an assistant coach? So I Dude. coached – did you mention it was basketball? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, so it's, it's basketball, yeah. So uh, there's – uh, we have a lot of different teams. It's a club. So I have some teams that I'm the head coach of, and then I have some teams that I am just the assistant of. I was, you know, yeah, like you said, behind the head guy. And so if I am the assistant, uh, I try and do, I had a coach when I was in high school, he was actually came my eighth grade year and followed me up, you know, followed my class up through. So I had him for five years. He was a JV coach, my freshman, sophomore, and he was my varsity coach, my junior, senior year. So I had this guy for five years. And I took a lot of the stuff that he did and tried to implement it into my coaching. And so as an assistant, one thing he did when he was the JV coach, he obviously sat the bench for varsity. And I also sat the bench for varsity. So I made sure every one of those games, I sat right next to him because I knew two things were going to happen. One, he was hilarious guy. Okay. But he also knew the game very well. So I always made sure to sit right next to him because not only was I going to be, not only was I going to laugh and be entertained because we were terrible. We won like three or four games that year. So I was going to be entertained, but I was also going to learn something because he had a really good mind for the game of basketball. He had a kind of, he didn't look at it in the traditional way. It was always finding Nick's 
uh, here and there of ways to beat opponents. So I was always constantly learning as I was sitting there on the bench. So when I'm the assistant, I have a couple jobs in game. One is I keep track of fouls of our entire team because as the head coach, you're standing up constantly making on court adjustments. So I'm making sure to do all the behind the scene work and letting him know where players are at with fouls when they need to come out. I'm also watching for fatigue and who's on the bench. I'm looking at body language. So I'm also trying to help with substitutions, but as I'm sitting there on the bench, one of my main goals is to make the experience good for these kids. So again, I try and implement just trying to throw a couple jokes here and there because it is a game, but at the same time you're trying to win. So I try and keep them in line with the game. And then also what I'm trying to do is make adjustments when they come off the court. So every time a player comes off, I'm, I have them sit down next to me and I talk about what they did on the floor how they can improve, maybe find a one instance. And I'll be like, Hey, next time you find yourself in this instance, you know, try and do this. I never say, Hey, you screwed up. You need to, you know, make sure you do this next time. We, we kind of talk about it. And like I said, work, work our way together with it. Because I know what, when I was a player, I hated coaches that only saw things one way. Like you have to do it this way. You got to understand every player is different. So again, just sit them down talk over situations with them, try and raise their IQ, maybe try and fix something mechanical and make sure they're mentally right so they can go back in the game. And Tanner, that's exactly what I have in my notes. And I said kind of pretty much the assistant coach is the glue of the team. It just, I feel like they're more important than the actual coach itself. Yeah. The coach might so, have a vision, but the assistant coach is the one to kind of pick them up and, you know, after a good screaming from the head coach, who's there? Your assistant coach. Exactly. The the head coach kind of has to be the bad guy more more times than not. Not always, but, you know, they're the one that has to bring the hammer down. The assistant's going to be there to pick you up. You know, the head coach is kind of supposed to motivate, and he also has – he or she has the final say on decisions. Meanwhile, the assistant coach makes uh, suggestions on maybe in-game or practice – stuff whatever it is they also try and help out the x's and o's you know they're just trying to take a little bit off the plate of the head coach and uh actually i got a story for you if you want it yeah go ahead well uh this is just kind of an example of you know what i do on the bench and uh it was with our high school girls team i don't remember where we were because we travel all about the midwest and whatnot you go louisville chicago indianapolis all these places and uh, I believe it was two years ago. That year, we didn't have any height. We were very short. We were starting five guards. I believe our tallest guard was five six or five eight, and so we were starting two girls who were played the two guard for their high schools. Were our four and five? They were our starting power forward and center. Just no height, and so. But one girl, she was five four. She was our starting four, but she played very well as a post player, and she was a she played well defensively. She blocked out well. She went very hard, but sometimes she would kind of mentally leave the game for a minute and she would do something stupid. And she also, not that it was really lazy, but she did, it was something she didn't really have to do at her high school because she went to a small school. She wasn't very good about blocking out. And again, we asked her to do a lot. She's five four and said, Hey, you have to now defend what you know, some of the tallest people on the court. And so she had a bad habit of forgetting to block out. And so she got pulled from the game because she didn't block out two or three possessions and she's heard it from me and the head coach, you know, 
a million times that year, Hey, you got to block out. You got to block out. She's been told, you know, in a nice way, she's been told kind of a, you know, a, a scoring way, like, Hey, you have got to block out. So finally she came out and I thought of another way to tell her. So she sits, I have her sit down next to me. We're kind of going over situations and I just look at her and I'm like, Hey, I said, we just did a poll and turns out that you are the shortest post player in the entire state of Missouri. And so you're going to have to block out <laughs> and, you know, it just, just bringing that in a different light kind of make it, made it stuck stay ah, kind of made it stick with her a little bit better. And so again, as, as the assistant coach, you know, I can be a little bit more loose. I can relate to the players a little more and I can kind of bring that to the table where I can joke a little bit, but I'm also serious about my message. Yeah. Um, I would have loved to be center in uh, grade school, but I think I was actually <laughs> a little bit shorter than that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, kind of just, I mean, I'm not really, I don't have like an exact point, point into this, but like, um, and I can really only think of hockey coaches right now. Yeah. Like even in a miracle, Herb Brooks, they, he wanted his players to hate him so much so that all they had to do is concentrate on how much they hate him and how much, how good they can play. Yeah. I think and that I, has I heard, changed a little bit. Yeah, and I heard Ken Hitchcock was kind of like the dying breed of that, apparently. Which, if you're in St. Louis and you know Ken Hitchcock, he's just the most out of shape, weird looking guy ever. <laughs> and I don't think he has any power over any athlete. But um, yeah, so that is a dying breed, which is good. Um, but yeah, it's just the messing up kids' heads. And I, I think it really comes from actually a lot of the times select sports and then in college. So just, it mm -hmm. seems like being a head coach is like the worst thing ever. It's like, you know, kind of being the, the CEO, like no one likes you, but you have all this power. So yeah. Like, you know, who wants to be a head coach right now in any of these leagues, NFL, yeah. NHL? I mean, the pay, yes, is a little bit better, but you're just in a spotlight that is enhanced by tenfolds. And anything you do bad is gonna it's gonna you know be judged, especially like in Toronto or in these big cities, Chicago, L.A. I mean, I can't even imagine what it is to be a coach there. Yeah, and I I can't really speak. My experience is far different than professional coaches. You know, I just coach kids. You know, probably ten through seventeen year olds is what I end up with. So, and I'm not getting paid nearly what these professionals <laughs> are. <laughs> so my, our experiences are completely different and the mind games you I'm sure that it's actually beneficial to play mind games to an extent there are certain mind games that are beneficial to pro athletes but you know so so I don't think we're really comparable in that sense but uh but, but yeah, yeah that's, the, that's the fair breed, you can't really bully kids anymore mentally yeah I I got chewed out more times than I could count in my you know playing career, which started when I was very young and I played multiple sports, you know, I, I got chewed out a lot. <laughs> yeah. I don't you know? think that's bullying. I think that's when you're younger, you need that though, right? You need to kind of wake up and do, you know, figure out what is going wrong. So they're being direct with you, but then yeah. parents don't like that. If you're being direct and yelling at the kid of what to do. Well, you know, when I look, when I look back at some of my favorite coaches in my life, from little league up through high school. When I look back at my favorites, 
most of them are ones that other kids didn't like because they thought they were too mean. But I loved them. I, I love mean coaches, actually. It, it, like you said, they're just they kick you in the butt and they're like, hey, let's get going. And then all of a sudden you start playing better. You start having more what? fun. They, they always got the best out of me. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is like embarrassment these days. Like kids just don't want to be embarrassed. They don't know how to recoup from being embarrassed. Like just accept it. Yeah. You got embarrassed. Make fun <laughs> of yourself now and let's go. You're going to be embarrassed. So <laughs> you're going to embarrass yourself one way or the other. So just get I, over it. I still fall on soccer balls during college soccer. Was I embarrassed? <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> like, I almost got a red card because I fell on a ball and I tripped up a kid real bad. And my coach is just like, uh, no, he just fell on the ball. He wasn't trying to hurt him. Did you see it? <laughs> and the ref just started laughing. And I'm like, well, all right. Thank you. <laughs> but I, uh, I do kind of want to get into worst coaching memories quickly, though, well, for you. One more thing I had was okay. another thing that I think is separating some players and coaches these days, apart from just the bullying, is that a lot of these coaches, the older coaches, they just can't relate to players anymore because it is a different generation of players. They don't think alike. And now when I say a coach is relatable to a player, I don't necessarily just mean like they're thinking the same because – like for me, when I, you know, as an assistant coach, I felt like I could relate to players well. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I was, a, I'm a great coach or anything, but uh, I do feel like one of the things I excelled at was relating to players. And some of that was that I'm just not a mature male. <laughs> I'm not a mature 25 year old. And so there is a little bit of that maturity level that helped me relate to the players uh, because. It, whatever and, you want to call it, but it wasn't that long ago that I was in their shoes. So I think there was some relatability there, but there's another type of relatability where that is just two people understanding that they're going to have different thoughts, but they have the same goal. So they're just going to move on from there. And I think that's what a lot of these head coaches don't have because this kind of ties into my bad experiences and that I have had head coaches who they weren't relatable to players and they just it's almost like they refused to be relatable because they saw themselves as the coach and you were the you were the player you were beneath them so i feel like that kind of hindered their relationship there okay yeah i i totally agree actually with you but i okay. had i thought i wrote this down but well you want me to just do my three first and you can look for yours Oh, no, it's here it is. Okay. It's, go one at a time. Let's go back and forth. Well, th I'm just going to finish up the, the relatable thought. Okay. Is that uh, these coaches, like I've, I've had some in the past that they just thought just because they are the coach and you are the player, especially when you're in high school or younger, they, they just think that they know more about the sport than you because they are the coach. All right. So – now, what, what points are you wanting to throw back here? Your point? What? You said you had you wanted to throw something back. Bad memories? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah just worst coaching memories. Yeah, you go first. All right, let's go. 
All right. So my first bad coaching memory that I can think of is my high school coach in varsity letting me throw over 200 pitches in two days. Ooh, my shoulder has not recovered from that at all. So it's during districts, obviously. Um, and so we we're playing this really bad team in the first round. Don't know why I'm pitching because I'm like the ace. He was kind of mad at me. And I just threw a complete game, like 90 pitches, struck out like 10. Next day, we play like uh, we play the top seed. And uh, it was it was kind of a poor outing for me. But at the same time, I didn't like give up anything big. I threw 140 pitches in five innings, <laughs> but Jesus. only let up two runs. It's pretty pretty nice outing, man. I was in the stretch pretty much the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, let's go with you. What's one of yours? Uh God. I couldn't really think of a lot. Most of mine were from just stubbornness of you? refusing to make in no, just re- I've had coaches that have just refused to make in-game adjustments and it felt like it cost us the game. Um, I also had a coach who let me stay in the game for 130 to 140 pitches multiple times. Uh, in all four years of high school, I led my team in innings pitched. Wow. So yeah, I blew my brag actually. Well, you see, I blew my shoulder out the end of the year. Actually, here's bad memory. I had a coach who put us on a throwing program in baseball. That was the worst throwing program of my life. Uh, he, I was never loose by the time we actually got done, like warming up, never loose. And then I'd have to go throw bullpens. And then I also, like said, would always lead the team in innings, but I was throwing 84 to 86 after my junior year and going into my senior year, by the time my senior year rolled around, I was throwing 77. So my <laughs> God. yeah, shoulder was shot, but yeah, there's there's not a pleasant memory. Thanks for bringing that up, Nick. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, my next one is my college soccer coach. Okay. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> he, <laughs> he was the worst coach I've ever had in my life, and it should not be at a collegiate level. My high school tryouts were harder than my college tryouts. <laughs> And in college, we can actually have two days. So just yeah. like he, he just didn't know how to recruit. He recruited me, which is a good sign of that. <laughs> he didn't know how to communicate with any of his players of what he wanted. And then when he did, it didn't work ever. He would just bring everyone on defense and let's just play zero zero soccer, which obviously is the most exciting thing ever. Yeah, I agree. So, that's my, my extensive my extensive knowledge of soccer. Yep. <laughs> so, do you have another one? Uh, I couldn't really think of anything. I have okay. a lot I have a lot more good memories with coaches. I must have just like blocked out all the bad ones. <laughs> Cuz I have some in there. I played I mean, I basically played sports year round until I quit playing college baseball. So, basically my entire life, you think I would have more bad memories with coaches, but 
All right, I'll just finish off with my last one then. My last bad coaching experience. I had an absolutely alcoholic coach in first grade soccer. He actually <laughs> he would show up to things drunk, and the parents had to like step in and like tell him he's not coaching us anymore. <laughs> this sounds like this sounds like the coaching version of Bad News Bears. Pretty much was, but he was not a good coach either. <laughs> well, the guy, Bad News Bears a good coach. He just got a kid that was too old to play and cheated the whole time. He took the worst team to the top. With two players. He basically grabbed They MJ were the same play. age. Nah, that's the best athletes. That one kid had a fake birth certificate, all right? I played enough Little League to know. All right, that's fair. That's fair. He was like a foot taller than the rest of them. Not in the original one. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. I could have swore he was. You know what my biggest beef with that movie is? No. The kid named Tanner wasn't any better at baseball. <laughs> All right, go on to your I'm best sorry. one. Uh, oh, was I supposed to have a certain ones for this too? <laughs> I don't know. I got, I got two, but kind of three. Okay go on with your one or whatever you have no no go ahead all right so early kind of on in fifth grade i had a soccer coach he was probably the meanest of them all but he was the most effective we ran probably more in fifth grade than i did in college Mm -hmm. but i look back to those memories and that's why i could do college soccer it's because in fifth grade when I didn't really run that much and he was making us run more than any team that we had to face, we all saw it every single game. We were out running everyone and that's why we won a lot. So that's yeah. just kind of him, him being able to push us to the limit actually was a good memory. Yeah. I actually, I have a couple memories of a coach. It was like sixth grade travel baseball. And I had this coach actually the following year, I believe he ended up quitting the team because all the players were threatening to quit. It was like they were like, either you go or we're all leaving. So he quit. So the season would quit going because they claimed he was like too hard on them. But like he was hard on us and we won almost every game that year. We were like 19 and two. And like one of the things we did is we started practice early. It was still cold outside. So we would practice in like our elementary school gym in uh, my hometown. And so he would hit grounders to us. And I mean, this student didn't just hit grounders. I mean, he smoked these balls. at you. (laughs) I mean, he took full daddy hacks at these things and let them rip. But he also did a thing where he made us all, we all had to line up. It looked like an execution line. We all had to line up on the sideline. (laughs) We had to get on our knees and you got to choose what you wanted to cover up. If you didn't have a cup, you could, you know, cover up your nuggets, your face, whatever you wanted to. But he was going to bounce a ball into your chest. Not like a rubber ball or anything, like a baseball. He's going to bounce it, throw it, and bounce it off your chest. So you can just get used to taking a ball off you. And if you didn't cover up or if you, like, I forgot what it was. But basically, if you, like, turned away on it, you had to run. <laughs> so you just had to take this. But we all... But we all became better infielders. I also remember in that gym when he would smoke us the ground ball, I used to like uh, double tap the ball in my glove before I threw it 
And he saw me do it, and he goes, Tanner, if I see you double tap that ball one more time, you're going to run five miles. <laughs> but I never double tap that ball again. So, <laughs> I mean, we were a very good team. Yeah, he was hard on us, but he made us so much better because our town is not used to winning a lot. And, I mean, I, like I said, I believe we were 19-2 and two that year. That is impressive and hilarious, Tanner. Those are uh, those are just good memories. So I really, I, I'll just do one more. I, I might mention the last one, but uh, so in my life, I've had two of my catchers get hit in the balls. <laughs> oh! 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 No way! Right in the kanjiking! God damn it! Oh! Oh! Guys! Way to go, a-hole! All right, hold on. When I try and find my balls, for God's sakes. One, two, and three. Okay, I'm okay. I remember them like they were yesterday. (laughs) First one was in seventh grade. And for this league, you had to sign a thing saying that you're going to wear a cup all the time. Well, my catcher refused to wear a cup every (laughs) single time. So... The funny part about it is when it happened, I just started laughing probably at, probably the whole inning because I just love seeing people get hit in the nuts. <laughs> and before this podcast even came on, I watched a couple of videos of professional athletes getting hit in the nuts, which that reminded me of Yachty getting hit in the nuts by that 102-mile-an-hour fastball and having to yeah. surgery right away. Oh yeah, my that God. was funny. I was but- dying laughing. Did you see the cricket player? No. It was just – I saw it on Twitter the other day. He was mic'd up, and he was batting, and the ball bounces in, hits him right in the nuggets, man. <laughs> he he goes down and just goes, oh, no. <laughs> and the entire broadcast booth couldn't say a word. They were just laughing the entire time. You just got to love a good fucking nut shot. <laughs> <laughs> And then I, I came across this one of it's actually Contreras, and I don't know who was pitching. It was a 97 mile per hour fastball that was a probably thrown. I don't even think it made it 20 feet, honestly. So Contreras didn't really know what to do with it, and he got him right in the balls, and I just started cracking up. But the caption was three balls in one pitch. <laughs> right, uh, so I. I I can't explain uh, how hard it is to get this out without like just dying of laughter, but it's really hard. <laughs> I uh, I do actually have one story, and I, I mentioned the coach earlier, the one I would sit by on the bench during basketball in high school because I knew I was going to laugh and I was going to learn something. So here's a little story about kind of the shenanigans he would pull. So we were about to play – uh, a state-ranked team, a team that's very good in basketball. It's Sykeston for those of you around this area. And I believe they had a porter at the time. I don't remember which one it was. But, I mean, this team, they were coming to our house. I was a sophomore. and Or no, I was a freshman, I think. And they were just going to – I mean, they didn't even sit. They sat their two best players because <laughs> they didn't even want to risk them getting hurt uh, because they were just going to kick the living dog shit out of us. And so I sit down next to my coach, the assistant, and he pulls something out of his pocket and he kind of motions it at me. And I look down and it's a cardboard cutout of a knife. (laughs) 
and it's been like traced out and everything. And at the end, it has a little red tip on it for the blood. And I was like, I said, coach T, what do you got? And he was just like, I brought a cardboard knife to a gunfight. <laughs> and that's how he said, that's how, he said how that game was going to go. But the, I think the funniest thing about that story is he had to trace out a knife, cut it out of the cardboard, color it, and then keep it in a pocket without bending it and ruining it for God knows how long until about seven o'clock that night. <laughs> Just, just to make that one joke at whoever sat down next to him. <laughs> oh, that's why. I love that guy. So, anyways, I was getting to my my point. Even though oh, I, point? I I I got the off track, I, I, I kind of got out of hand. But anyways, okay. so the second time was in high school. I love I love my high school catcher. Mm-hmm. And uh, I threw a curveball, and it like it was the not just direct hit, but it like scraped, which is the worst feeling ever. If you've ever felt that in your life. So mm-hmm. he was down and my coach came out and, uh, you know, I was laughing for, for probably about two minutes. And so after the two minutes of my catcher being down, my coach came out and he's like, I just know you're going to laugh for like five more minutes. So I just came out just so, so you can laugh. <laughs> <laughs> So, anyways, I don't even think I, I don't think I stopped laughing that whole game. <laughs> we won. That does all that matters. Uh, all right, let's move on to some Cardinal talk. We're gonna do a little St. Louis Cardinal baseball talk. Uh, they did make a trade. Did you see this? They made a trade today. Yeah, they got a pitcher, right? Yes, top fifty prospect Matthew. Is it Liberator or Liberator? Your guess is better than mine. Yeah, I'm going to learn to pronounce it uh, later. So apparently he is childhood friends with Nolan Gorman. You'll probably hear that name in a little bit. Uh, Top prospect for St. Louis. Uh, But yeah, left-handed pitcher. um, Number four in the Rays organization. He's a top 50 prospect. He's 20. Uh, Where did I read this? Is this Uh, this from BAM? Or is this a completely different trade? No, this is this just happened today. Okay. I didn't know if it was like an extension of the fam deal or not. No, so apparently it says that St. Louis sent back major league pieces. Ooh. So no word yet on who. And it says the Cardinals haven't even confirmed it yet. Everyone's running with the story, so I assume it's like it's good to go. Hmm. But uh so yeah, that's exciting. He's a lefty. Uh, so yeah, so a little bit exciting there. I'm in, very interested in seeing what piece we sent back. Uh, but yeah, let's dive into it. What are you wanting to get into with the St. Louis Cardinals? Okie dokie. Ready? Yep. So obviously the Cardinals haven't really looked exactly like the Cardinals of late. They've been getting better with the defense, but uh-huh. we haven't made it to a world series in what? Five years? Six. Okay. Uh, 2013 right yeah poor us and i know right so let's go all the way back to the 2006 run because that's the last time we won it not the last time no yeah first time we won it all right Uh, in our lifetime yes yes we had yadier molina batting 
at 216. Okay. But that is right when he came into the league after Matheny and everything. So, Jim Edmonds was the next lowest hitter that year with a 257 average. And Jimmy Ballgame can win you a game any day of the week. Oh, yeah. Aaron Miles, for God's sake, batted 263. Okay. (laughs) Now going on. I'm not done with the point yet, though, right? (laughs) No, I'm waiting. 2013. Our lowest batting average that year was Pete Cosma. Oh, no! We suck again! Obviously, Pete Cosma. 217. The next lowest after Pete Cosma was David Freeze at 262. Yeah. I think I – you probably know where I'm going here next. Yeah, I I figured it out after, like, the 2006 Yadier Molina example. John Jay – John Jay batted 276 in 2013. Holy cow. I did not John appreciate Jay. that guy enough. John Jay led off a lot. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. yeah, he led off a lot. He still wasn't that good of a hitter. So, so I apparently think he was. Is that the Cardinals this year, their batting averages sucked throughout because I remember looking at them and we had, did we have one guy over 300? Yes, I think we had one guy. So, and I'm looking Tommy Edmond. Tommy Edmond yeah. was the only guy for the Cardinals to bat over 300 with with more than 100 plate appearances, 150. Because I'm seeing here, Lane Thomas did it, but he had 38 at bats. So if we're talking guys that got a decent amount of playing time, Tyler O'Neill was the lowest at 141 at bats. So everyone from Tyler O'Neill up. Tommy Edmond batted 304. Okay. And then it goes downhill from there. Yes, very much so. so. Colton, Wong, Colton Wong hit 285, which he was on an absolute tear early in the year, correct? I mean, I think he had a good overall year anyways. Like, I, yes, he was probably on a tear. But other than that, like, he's he hit pretty good. I would, I would love to see that average from him any year with a gold glove. Well, I mean, 285 is a very good yeah. year. Uh, Yachty batted 270. That's our top three batting averages. You want to hear the bottom? I'm looking at it. Bader, 205. Carp, 226. Dexter, 238, which is actually better than last year. DeYoung, 238, too. Ozuna, he might have been different. I don't know why. I got yeah, I got DeYoung at 233 below Dexter Fair Fowler. Enough. Even worse. Ozuna, 241. In 2018, when we were third in the Central, obviously Fowler batted a solid 180. But then we had five players batting over under 260. So this is where my consistency is. We need, yeah. like, not money ball-wise, but we just need people to get on base. And I know there's a whole bunch of talk of the yeah. – like we're leading the way in the Arenado trade, but we're gonna have to get one of these hitters to them probably. Am I wrong? Yeah. So uh, a little bit back to the the liber liberator liberator Matthew liber liberator. Uh, how do you pronounce his name? So, anyways, he is apparently someone that the that would be a good starting package for Nolan Arenado. So 
this might end up being like a three-team trade in the way of we trade. The Rockies aren't going to want our MLB guys now, but the Rays took them, sent a prospect back. Now we take that prospect, package it with some of ours, maybe another MLB-ready player, send it to Colorado for Nolan Arenado. Do you think they would just do it straight up just for pitching and Edmund? Probably is who they want, or even uh, how much pitching? Well, you say that's a, a pretty good prospect, and then we have probably I was going to say uh, Cabrera, Hennessy yeah. Cabrera. I don't think Hennessy Cabrera would be good enough to be in there. Uh, you're talking at least three prospects for Arenado, okay. I think, and you're well two and Tommy Edmond. Maybe, but they're going to be high end. Like they're going to be looking at Nolan Gorman, which we don't want to give up. They're going to be looking at Dylan Carlson, Lane Thomas. We're probably going to have to give up one of the outfield prospects, which is Carlson, Lane Thomas, Randy Orozarena, Justin, uh, Justin Williams, a little old to be in there. But you're probably looking at one of Carlson, Thomas, or Rosarena. They're probably already going to want a young but MLB ready guy, and that is going to be Tommy Edmond, Harrison Bader. They may also want, uh, and it could be Edmund Wong DeYoung, like any of those guys could be factored in there, but you're definitely losing one of Wong DeYoung, Bader Edmund. Okay. If it's Bader, you're talking higher prospects. If it's Edmund, a little bit lower DeYoung, probably even a little bit lower prospects. Uh, Wong would be in the DeYoung uh, context there, but yeah, you're definitely giving up probably at least one pitching prospect, uh, one fielding prospect and one of your young MLB players. At least you're probably throwing in another prospect in there. So do you uh, think one? He, he's usually what around 280, 300 hitter every year. Do you think? Yeah, Arnado? He's probably he's right around three hundred okay. every year. Do you think one three hundred hitter can solve one two three four five hitters that are batting under two fifty? So if you look at it, whereas you had uh, you had a down year for Goldschmidt, that was one of Goldschmidt's worst years that he's had basically in his career. Same for Marcelo Zuna's been red hot the last couple of years. Now he batted two forty one. So let's just say they retain Osuna, or whether they do or don't, Goldschmidt gets back to his normal self. Okay. Uh, I think right there, just having that three, four makes a hell lot of difference. So if you look at our previous teams, those teams that dominated, whether it be a regular season domination or the world series, you know, you think about the early two thousands, early to mid two thousands, you think about that world series team in 2011, the team that went 2013, look at what they had. They, you know, the Cardinals have always had guys that come up through the system and then break out that year. And I mean, you're talking, Every single year that happens, you had Jose Martinez this year. You had Tommy Edmond, you know, whether it be pitching or fielding side. Hell, that year you had Jeremy Hazelbaker, you know. So you have these guys come up and, and produce every year, but they usually get to bat sixth or seventh. So that hot production that's coming from their bats are coming later in the lineup, and it's producing more runs because your 3-4 has been solid, your 3-4-5. Cardinals won the World Series in 2011. Their hottest hitter was David Freeze. He batted sixth the entire postseason because you had Pujols, Holiday, Berkman in that mix. Okay, so yeah, adding adding a guy like Arnado helps greatly because now it's Goldschmidt, Arnado, three four, and 
you know, maybe Wong second if he's batting 285, that lineup becomes deadly because now whoever comes up next year, and it's probably going to be one of those outfielders in a Rosa Reina, uh, Lane Thomas, Dylan Carlson, whoever it is that breaks out, now they're batting like six. They're a little bit more protected in the order. It's not like DeYoung's rookie year where it was like our three, four batters were DeYoung and Jose Martinez. You're talking about those guys get to bat later. They're seeing more fastballs. They have a better chance to produce runs, not as much pressure on them. So, yeah, that's how big of a difference Nolan Arenado makes on top of the fact that he's probably giving you 300 uh, – excuse me, 300. He's going to probably give you 30 home runs, 120 RBIs, and, like I said, batting damn near 300. Makes a hell of a lot of difference. Okay. Do you have anything else you want to talk about with the Cardinals? Uh, no, it's just mainly we're going to be getting a, or diving a lot deeper into baseball as we get farther along into the winter. So I don't really want to go too much into it. But yeah, Arnado is definitely a possibility. I was talking to someone at work today about it, and I didn't think he was really much of a possibility. My tune has changed on that now. I think it is possible. I still think it's very high because we are still stingy with prospects, but I do think there is a possibility. There is a chance. All right. Uh, but one, one name I want to mention is Kwang Hyung Kim. Oh, yeah. I think I nailed it. I, I nailed his name better than I did <laughs> the liberator that we just got. Uh, but he, uh, KK is his nickname. He is a lefty out of Korea. Uh, he's, um, I mean, he, his numbers are very good in that league. Uh, we signed him two years, 8 million. Uh, my, basically what I see from this is we just tried to sign a cheaper Hyjin Ryu who had a sub two ERA for most of last year, if not finished with it. And we've also, last time we got a pitcher overseas, miles Michaelis, it's worked out pretty well for us. At least for a year. So I think, I think they're looking, well, uh, he actually finished pretty oh, yeah. well last year. Um, yeah, you're right. But yeah, I so I think that we're looking for just a cheaper option to help out the bullpen, and that also means that getting him might also mean we have more space to get an Arnado. But that's really all I want to say for this one. Like I said, we'll get more into the Cardinals later. Uh, I do have a little trivia for you, but I'm going to save that for the next show. Okay. okay? Tribute, you said? we're running out of time. Trivia. Oh, I thought you were getting rid of me already. So, Jesus. <laughs> no. <laughs> so we got about three and a half minutes here. I want to finish this up. Uh, movie recommendations of the week. Let's send these people into the weekend with something to watch. Do you I have do. one? I do. I watched it this weekend. It is uh, Tolkien. It. It's about uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah, the guy who wrote yeah. Lord of the Rings. It's a great movie. Watch it. Uh, on a scale of one to eight elves, how much do you give it? One to eight elven-eared Orlando Blooms. I give it a seven. All right. Fair enough. All right. I have two, okay? Because I couldn't pick. First one is Wind River. Uh, it's probably the most underrated movie of the last three, four, five years. It's got uh, Jeremy Renner, who was uh, Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Hawkeye in Avengers. So Hawkeye, he teams back up with the witch lady from the Avengers. I believe she's an Olsen, not Mary Kate. All right. I, I, which I, twins? You're kind of yeah. right, but not right. She's not one of them. Um, but anyways, they investigate a murder. 
in like super cold country, whatever. He's a big game hunter. And yeah. So now they investigate this murder and man, it, whew, it's good. It messed with your mind a little bit. It was a great movie. I give it, uh, I give wind river, like how many mountains? I don't know. 10 out of 10 mountains, man. It is so good. Snowmobiles. They have a lot of snowmobiles in it. So I give it 10 out of 10 snowmobiles. I've seen that movie. It is a good movie. Very good. All right. My last one. It's on Netflix. Okay. This is just a stupid comedy. Like if you're looking for a light watch, a couple good laughs. All right. The goods live hard, sell hard. The goods live hard, sell hard. It's hilarious. Got Jeremy Piven. Uh, If you watch Entourage, it, uh, What's his name in that? Ari. It's got Ari Gold from Entourage in it. And he's a car salesman. He basically plays the same character minus yelling at Lloyd. Lloyd! But it's also got a lot of other like funny actors in it. Uh, uh, Ron Ron Riggleman? Yeah. Is that his name? He plays like a 10-year-old boy in it. (laughs) He's a grown-ass man. He's a 10-year-old boy. It's stupid, but it's hilarious. And uh, I give it... uh, Four out of six Trans Ams for last. About a baker's dozen, right? Yeah, about a baker's dozen. But yeah, so if you're looking for a good easy read, that's a really stupid movie. Watch the goods. And again, you might get a couple lines. <laughs> Tanner, just end it. You're um, done. Cutting you off. How many beers have you had during this episode? Uh two. I had a couple cervezas. That is Mexican All for right. beer. Thank you. <laughs> that is going to wrap it up for 401 episode three. I hope you enjoyed. We will be back Monday where we will talk about all the bets I lost in the divisional round. We'll see you Monday. Bye. Six deep in the rango. Got the crib one phones in the mango.